I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we are around in third base. We're headed toward home in our series in Galatians. We have one week left after this one. And as you turn, I want you to know something about myself. And that is that I am a farmer. I know, I know, I don't look like a farmer. I know that as you've gotten to know me, that I don't sound like a farmer, whatever a farmer sounds like. But nevertheless, I'm a farmer. The life of a farmer is not regularly considered to be a glorious one. The farmer labors quietly and consistently. The farmer has up years and down years, steady plodding through season after season to plant the seeds necessary in the soil that is given day after day, week after week, year after year. But then comes the harvest. And there is nothing like the harvest. Hard work pays off. Fruits of the labor are realized. The difficulty of the work that that you've undergone just seems to sort of fade back into the distant memories and is replaced by the glory of the present reality. To see the crop that's ready, to have its reward, what a moment. I'm a farmer, and there is nothing better. I am a farmer, and so are you. And to see how, let's look at Galatians 6, starting at verse 6. Paul writes, in the context of living by the Spirit, your growth in Christ, he says, let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap If we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Throughout the Bible, there is a principle that is stated very early and finds its thread repeatedly throughout all of Scripture. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Following the flood of the earth, the waters receded, God made a covenant with Noah, and in that covenant in Galatians, I mean excuse me, in Genesis 8:22, he says that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Seed time and harvest. That is sowing and reaping. 
If you want crops, you have to plant them. (laughs) If you want to eat, you have to work. And that is a generalized version of God's order as it relates to our physical lives. But the principle of sowing and reaping extends to our spiritual lives as well. And as we consider what I think is a universal principle, in detail we can observe a couple of different things about this principle as it relates to both our physical lives and our spiritual lives. The first is this. You will reap what you sow. The one who sows wheat will not reap corn. The one who plants a grape vineyard will not reap barley. You will reap what you sow. And some of us go through life and perhaps we think that as long as we're sowing something without much intentionality behind it, that it's all just going to sort of work out in the end. But the sowing and reaping principle seems to indicate that intentionality in this life is actually very important. And in this way, each one of us have a responsibility for our own actions. You might even say it this way. Your present actions will determine your future condition. Your present actions will determine your future condition. You will reap what you sow. Another observation we can make about the principle is that you will reap what you sow. That means there's a guarantee in this life. The seeds that you are sowing right now will turn into something. There will be a harvest. Just as with the farmer who doesn't always get to choose when that harvest will come, that farmer who rather waits and trusts and trusts and waits, so too it is with your spiritual life and the harvest that will come from it. And the patience of that dynamic is one of the most difficult aspects of the sowing and reaping principle. But you will reap in due course. And so it's a universal principle. For as much as we see in the scriptures that God is active, that God is sovereign over creation and sovereign over his purposes, that God initiates things and he raises up rulers and nations and casts them aside, that he is incredibly interactive with his creation throughout all of its history, There is still a sense that in light of that divine sovereignty of God that we have responsibility over our own actions. That in some way we are actively partnering with God, with the Spirit, in the growth that we have and the enactment of God's plan in the world. You reap what you sow. And so here... Paul, in Galatians chapter 6, applies this to the idea of walking in the Spirit, and he gives three applications for this sowing and reaping principle. Let's look at them together. The first application we see right away in verse 6, the application we might call is that we sow the Word, the Word of God. He says, let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. 
So here Paul is addressing one of the aspects of a relationship between those who are devoted to ministry and those that they are ministering to. Today, very often, church staffs and church congregations. And to share all good things with those who teach the word could have a number of different connotations to it, but, but scholars almost uniformly agree that the gist of what he's getting at here is the nature of financial support for gospel workers. And it falls in line, of course, with a number of other passages that we see in the scripture along those lines. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, Paul takes the Old Testament law and he applies it to gospel workers when he says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. Or 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so, at first glance, it might feel a little bit awkward or embarrassing for us to talk about this aspect of gospel workers and the nature of financial support. I mean, after all, in polite company, we're not supposed to talk about politics and we're not supposed to talk about money. But when you look at Galatians 6 and when you understand some of the careful nuance, I think it helps alleviate a little bit of that tension. Because the idea of sharing that Paul talks about here, of sharing all good things with those who teach, the root word for sharing here is the word fellowship. That we have fellowship together because of what is being taught. And that fellowship extends even to our possessions. And another way to think about fellowship is the idea of having a common share, that Christians have a common share. And I love that expression, a common share, that together we have a common share in sowing the word of God amongst us. And throughout history, people have taken this to mean that part of this common share of sowing is that Christians have gathered together, they've formed churches, and in the churches they've said, we need to set aside one person or two persons or three or four or ten or more so they can devote themselves wholly and completely to the word of God and prayer and to the teaching of others. So they're not mixed in with all of the pressures and dynamics of having to have multiple income streams, but we want them to devote themselves to this. And so a congregation sows into the word by providing for ministry workers. And they will reap according to what they sow. And if that's true, then the nature of the relationship between church staff and a congregation is not really like the relationship that we think of in the world. It's not like the relationship between an employer and an employee. Ministry is not just a job that happens with payment for services rendered. And conversely, the one being taught is not just a consumer who's paying for some sort of knowledge or goods that they receive, but rather there's this sort of partnership that happens here, a common share in the gifts of God that's being exercised. And it means that we should all have this attitude of investment into this. We don't just come to consume the resources of the local church without actually investing back into that local church. 
nor does it mean that we should look at our, at our church staff, our employees with sort of the hairy eye. It means that we, should, that we should give generously to them because they are investing in this same common share of the ministry. And of course we recognize in the middle of that that there's all kinds of abuses and pitfalls that we've seen over the years that you know, on one side we avoid the abuse uh, of laziness, that a ministry worker would be lazy and not actually so much but reap plenty. And so there's accountability structures in place for that. And on the flip side, we guard against the dynamic that says, well, I'm a congregation member, I'm paying your salary, so that means that I get to dictate what you teach and what you don't teach. This is a common share in the word. And maybe you've been in an experience, I've certainly heard of experiences that pastor friends of mine have had where they've had congregation members say just that. I pay your salary, so you can't talk about human sexuality or this particular doctrinal issue or this particular sin issue. But here Paul is talking about a common share in the word. And so you see there's this unique relationship that's part of sowing and reaping to share generously with those who are teaching. And I just have to say, as one of the pastors of our church, I am so encouraged as our church continues to grow in this way. We continue to sow and grow in generosity. We continue to reap and anticipate the reaping all the more 5, 10, 20 years down the road. We sow what we reap. The second application that Paul gives for this principle is seen in the nature of sowing in your personal life. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. William Perkins explained it like this. He said there are two sorts of seeds which with people sow in this life, good and evil. There's two kinds of sowers, spiritual people and carnal people. There's two sorts of ground in which this seed is sown, the Spirit and the flesh, and there are two sorts of harvests with which men are to reap according to the seed. The harvest of corruption or the harvest of life. You are a farmer. Whether you know it or not. You are sowing seeds in your life whether you realize it or not. Do not be deceived, Paul says. It's easy to become deceived. It's easy to become deceived into thinking that it's really just not that important to be intentional about such things. It's easy to become deceived and think that, well, we go through seasons of life where 
In a certain season, I can do whatever I want because that's just part of being young. Or in a different season, it doesn't really matter because I'm an empty nester now and my kids are out of the house. Or it doesn't really matter during my new season because part of being retired is that we don't have to exert effort in these types of ways. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. It matters how you sow. If you sow to the sinful desires of your flesh, Paul says, you will reap corruption. And it's a stark warning, but a helpful reminder. I mean, this passage is both incredibly encouraging in its nature at the opportunity that you have for this life, and also very, very sobering in the nature of its warning. Willing investment into the sin in your life will always bring about a bad harvest. Always. And we can think of a million examples. I love the quote from the uh, American comedian from the early 1900s, Fred Allen, who says, most of us spend the first six days of the week sowing wild oats. And then we go to church on Sunday and we pray for a crop failure. (laughs) But for others of us, we're sowing seeds slowly and methodically, but we're sowing them in the wrong direction. A woman holds on to ongoing resentment against another woman in the church. They've had disagreements over the years and they've never really sought reconciliation between each other. And so she continues to simmer in her despise for the other person. With every spiteful thought, she sows seeds that are destructive to her spiritual health and to that of the larger family. A man deals with his stress after work every night by getting drunk. He justifies it to himself by saying that he isn't really hurting anybody around him. But every night, he is sowing seeds of corruption to the relationships that he has and to his ability and his ability to learn how to cope with his stress by depending upon the Lord. A husband and a wife stop actively investing in each other and in their marriage. Over time, they don't deal with the issues of hurt or sin. Distance happens, bitterness starts to fester, and before you know it, they start to look out for their own personal interests and desires more than looking out for the interest of the other. With each year that passes, they quietly sow seeds of corruption that could ultimately end their marriage. Or on the flip side of the coin, the young couple who is in love and they justify having sex outside of marriage because of their deep and abiding affection for each other. They are enjoying themselves while at the very same time sowing seeds of corruption And after some amount of time, in an unforeseen way, they break up. 
They part ways, and they both walk away from the relationship, reaping an unhealthy capacity for genuine intimacy. You reap what you sow. I'm sure that most of you have seen a sinkhole. Cars can be parked on the street day after day, week after week, month after month, often in major cities, and everything appears to be normal. Then one day, all of a sudden, the asphalt caves in into this massive sinkhole, and the cars just sort of disappear into this giant hole. And everybody says, wow, that sinkhole came out of nowhere. But they're all wrong. The hole appears suddenly, but the process that led to it has gone on for many years. The underground erosion is invisible on the surface, but it was there and happening all along. Sinkholes remind us of two things. First, it reminds us that something can look good on the outside, all the while underneath major problems are festering and growing, even for years. But secondly, it reminds us that our lives are affected by the little choices that we make, which have a cumulative effect in their nature and result in either moral strength or moral disaster. Sowing <laughs> toward corruption. But there's an encouraging side of this principle, and that is those who sow to the Spirit Paul says, will reap eternal life. That the sowing and reaping principle has a wonderful, positive application. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? I think it means a number of different things. It means that you are living primarily for God's pleasure instead of your own pleasure. It's following God's ways instead of following your own feelings. Sowing in the Spirit is walking in the Spirit and growing in faithfulness to God. It's relying on God instead of ourselves when we get hurt, when we have difficulty, when we don't get our way, when we're confused. We engage in the disciplines that create a devotion to God. Even if we don't feel like it, we actively sow. So we read our Bible, we pray, we serve the Lord. We make it a point to develop this devotion to the Lord by being with his people regularly on the Lord's day and worshiping him. And let's be clear, I mean, Paul isn't talking about here that doing all these things, these are the things that will bring you eternal life. In fact, we've seen the message of Galatians again and again that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus himself does all the things that we need for eternal life. That's what he does on the cross by way of reconciling us to God and forgiving us of our sins. And so we believe in him. But here we see that believers are doers. And one scholar says it correctly. He says, no one is ever saved by works. But no one is ever saved without them either. <laughs> and this is the hardest part. The hardest part when we think about sowing seeds into the spirit is that the reaping of this kind often doesn't come quickly. Just as the farmer plants and then waits and trusts and trusts and waits, and then watches to see the seed move from planting to germination to growth to different stages of growth, so too, Christian, 
Do you sow and wait and trust and wait and watch as the seed moves from germination to growth? And the harvest comes according to the plan of God. On a visit to California and to two vineyards, author Margaret Feinberg discovered that vintners must adopt a long-term approach to their work. And it mirrors your long-term approach to the Christian life. The first year a vintner plants shoots of vines rather than seeds because these yield the strongest vines. At the end of the first growing season, he cuts them back. A second season passes, he cuts them back again. Only after the third season, the third year, does he see first viable clusters of grapes, but serious vintners leave those clusters of grapes on the vine. It's not until year four that most vintners will bring in their first harvest. And for those growing grapes for winemaking, They'll bottle their harvest, but they won't taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or year eight. Most vineyards in Napa Valley won't even reach a break-even point for their investment until year 15 or 18 or maybe even beyond. Applying those insights to our spiritual lives, Feinberg writes, she says, sometimes I look at my own life and I wonder, why am I not more fruitful? Why does the pruning have to hurt so much? Why does cultivating a healthy crop take so long? Yet those questions circle around the here and the now. But God's perspective is very, very different. Like a good vineyard owner, he knows how to bring about fruitfulness better than I ever will. He's patient with me more patient than I am with myself. We must recognize that, like the vintners, our fruitfulness will not come overnight. The first harvest of our labors might not be for three or four or five years. If you've been living the Christian life for any amount of time, you know that to be true. You know that you did things intentionally to sow seeds of your growth in the Lord. And as you did, sometimes it took a while for you to see doors open, for affections to change, for battles against sin to be won, for uh, opportunity to serve other people. But when you get to the other side of that, you look back and say, wow, five years didn't really feel that long. Ten years didn't really feel like that long. When you're in the middle of it, it feels like eternity. It feels like you want to give up. It feels like, is this doing anything at all? Is it even important for me to exercise this kind of discipline or affection? But you hold fast because you will reap what you sow. Maybe you've heard the old saying, you sow a thought and you reap an action. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. And that leads to Paul's third application of this sowing and reaping principle. It's found in verses 9 and 10. And we might just summarize it by saying, sowing and doing good. 
He reminds us not to grow weary in doing good to others, especially to those in the household of faith. Doing good things to other people is a way of sowing in your life. You're sowing seeds. And he says we're to give special attention to those in the church family. And when you do good things to others in this way, there is no doubt that it will cost you something. You bind yourself to other people who you might not naturally connect with. You have less money than you otherwise would have because you've chosen to give a bunch of it away. (laughs) You trade away some of your precious recreation time because you decide to invest in other people. And it feels tiring sometimes. But Paul says, don't grow weary. Keep going. Keep going, verse 9 reminds us, because you will reap if you don't give up. Every one of you has a farm. A vast farmland of your thoughts, of your body, of your actions, of your money, of your relationships. You are a farmer. You've been a farmer with a vast farmland since the day of your birth. The problem with so many people is that they don't realize that they have this incredible opportunity that is before them. They don't realize what they have. The opportunity of a lifetime to make this farm count for something so much bigger than just myself. And so, maybe we don't pay attention to what we're sowing with our time or our treasure or our talent. And we just hope that it's all going to work out someday. Or maybe we lose heart because after an intense and short, concerted efforts, we didn't see a fruitfulness that we thought we'd see. We didn't feel the way that we thought we were going to feel. And so we lose heart in our impatience and therefore start to neglect the farm. Or perhaps, maybe some of us have bought into the lie. The lie of thinking that your sowing years are behind you. Now is only the time for reaping. I mean, after all, that is sort of intertwined with the American dream. But it's not so. You are a farmer. If you are a child, you're a farmer. Sowing seeds. If you are in high school, you are a farmer sowing seeds. If you are a young adult, you're a farmer, sowing seeds for the rest of your life. If you are an adult with a spouse and children, you are sowing seeds. Sowing seeds for yourself and in some ways sowing seeds for your kids. And if you're retired, you're still a farmer in God's economy. Still sowing seeds for the greatest harvest of all time. Don't for a minute think that your sowing days are gone. If you're a person, Christian, 
or non-Christian. You're a farmer. You sow with your talents, with your money, with your relationships, with your body. You sow with everything you have. And in God's perfect timing, you will reap. You will reap in this life and you will reap with eternal life. Maybe you haven't been intentionally sowing seeds. But the good news is that it's not too late. And so the question is, what kind of seeds are you going to start sowing today? Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, thank you for this encouragement and this warning. I know that some of us are convicted that we have not been sowing seeds to the Spirit as intentionally as we should. We thank you, God, for forgiving us and for providing us new opportunity even to sow today. Empower us by your Spirit, that same Spirit that we walk in. Help us to see the particular ways in which we are to invest ourselves in you and grow us, not just over hours or days, but weeks and months and years. Give us patience for the harvest. Help us to reap when the time is right. All the while, functioning under the conviction that you give that we will reap what we sow. We thank you for the hope that is found in that. In Jesus' name, amen.